I want to invite you to stand uh, as we read Psalm chapter uh, 132. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and uh, today's text is on page 519. Uh, so I would strongly encourage you, especially because of the length of today's psalm, uh, to follow along um, as Chris, our brother, reads and as uh, we hear from this text today. I've got a little bit of a cold, so if my voice cracks, let's blame it on that, okay? Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah, We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies, that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give this time to you. We're grateful for your word, and we ask that it would encourage your people where they need encouragement, where it would correct, where there needs to be correction, Lord. And uh, in all these things, we pray that we would respond in faith, Lord, by your grace. Be with Nathan as he uh, speaks this morning, Lord. I pray that his, his words would be your word uh, that you have prepared for us this morning and that we would be open to that, Father. And uh, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here this morning, Lord, and across the world. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. Um... It's a great, great task ahead of us today, um, but, but also just great confidence in God's word uh, in which I, Isaiah 40 says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Uh, one day, all of my words will burn up, all of your words will burn up, all of those things, but God's word will uh, never, never fade. Um, and so we're very, very grateful for that. It's been a very exciting week uh, in, in our church family, in the life of our church family, um, I know that there's been heaviness as well, uh, but we're rejoicing with Isaiah and Nadine, uh, who welcomed their baby Amelia um, and was able to, to go home this week, and uh, sounds like they're doing, doing wonderfully. And, um, and then also our sister and brother, Ted and Leanne Grow, uh, they uh, had, had twin grandbaby boys uh, this week. And so uh, Ted and Leanne's daughter, Jamie, and her son, Jeremy, um, are, are welcoming those two babies. It's been a little bit of a, of a rocky road for them, uh, but, but uh, from last I heard, things, are, things seem to be going in the right direction. 
Uh, and so Leanne, I'm sure, will show all of you pictures. Uh, she's not here with us today, uh, but, our, but our, uh, our, our friend's grandbaby's names are Jude and Ezra. And so just an exciting week and uh, really excited to dive into to this text, Psalm chapter 132. It's certainly the lengthiest of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, but it seems to be a, a rather high point um, in, in this. And I think that the three lenses uh, that, that we have kind of been, that we've encouraged you to keep in mind as you read these Psalms of Ascent uh, may be no more helpful than they are right here in Psalm 132. Namely, those lenses of the lens of God's covenant with his people, um, the lens of God's character, um, and then a Christ-centered lens. Um, and it really seems like those three lenses kind of culminate very perfectly and meet together very perfectly in this psalm, in Psalm chapter 132. And it, is, it has been a, uh, a fun week studying this with our men on Wednesday morning, um, and, and then uh, just over the weekend as is, is I've had the opportunity to study it. But here's, here's what is really important to keep in mind. Um, really important to keep in mind as we read this psalm and as we study this psalm this morning, the Bible tells one unified story from beginning to end. Um, it's one story, uh, one story about God's pursuit of, of, uh, of, of worshipers, of relationship with him, um, and the whole book, this whole book in front of you tells that one story um, about God's glory and his pursuit of his people. There are no parentheses and there are no detours in the scriptures. Now, is there sin? Yes. Is there sin because of man's uh, deep wickedness? Absolutely. Uh, but God, in his goodness and in his knowledge and understanding, um, set out with a plan before the world was ever created to redeem man from his sin. And so we understand the scriptures and we understand God's interaction with his people through a covenantal lens through a single unified story from creation to Christ to ultimate redemption and one day final restoration when Christ one day returns. And so Psalm 132 for us provides a snapshot of this unified narrative. It's almost like the, a, a small section of the unified narrative um, all within one psalm. And it recalls the, the loaded history of King David and God's covenant with David, David in promising who the Israelites believed would be the Messiah. Um, now, there were always parts about that that they didn't fully comprehend, right? There were parts to their faith that they didn't, they didn't fully see, they didn't fully understand, they could not grasp in the immediate with full comprehension, which is why we as today's believers are in a really unique spot, that we look back on what Christ has done and we have this full picture. But by faith, these Old Testament hearers heard what God was promising and by faith believed God, is what the scriptures would say. And so it doesn't seem to be a psalm that's written by David. Um, some people believe that maybe it is written by David. Some believe that it's a psalm written by Solomon, who would have been close enough to David and his interaction with God and his desire to build a temple that Solomon would have, would have understood it. But we, the, the text doesn't, simply just doesn't give us those kinds of names. But... Like I said, it is a psalm that is deeply reliant, a psalm that takes as its source, almost, uh, God's relationship with David, God's interaction with David, taking what was, what was said to David as confidence in the Lord's present attentiveness to their situation. And that's a deeply important concept to, to catch real quick. So just, 
As we talk about the character of God and understanding the character of God that shines through these psalms, one of the, the fundamental truths in the Old Testament that we'll see over and over again is that God's people view God's past promises and God's past provisions as present personal hope. God, God views, the, the people of God view what God has done in the past, not, not even directly for them or personally for them, but God's people seem to consistently take as a um, sure and certain hope for today that which God has accomplished and promised in the past. And so we see that in the way the psalm opens. Let's get our eyes on the book. Right here it says, Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardship that he endured. And so the scriptures regularly patterned for us. If you read the scriptures and you see the different times it talks about prayer and you see the Psalms, how it calls out to God, the scriptures for us regularly pattern um, praying the promises of God. Have you noticed that? That, that many prayers that are, are lifted up by the psalmist, many prayers, even, even in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, is, is a model for us that, that we pray for what God has already promised he will do. And I don't fully understand why all the time because it's not as though God has forgotten. It's not that we need to pray just in case God forgot what he did, but it does seem to be this consistent model that the people of God are praying the things that God has promised. Uh, God, you promised this to us. You promised this to our ancestors. You promised this long, long ago. And so be faithful to this. And so again, in Matthew chapter six, it is almost completely a prayer. The Lord's prayer is almost completely a prayer aligned with what we already know God will accomplish, what God will do. All that Jesus models in his prayer are those things in which we know that God can and will do, right? Um, and so if you go to Matthew chapter six, you see None of these things are things that you got to bend God's arm to do, <laughs> that, that we're praying. We're praying based on who God is and how he relates with his people. And so this psalm in particular, I promise you're, you're kind of worried right now. You're like 18 verses. Well, it's, it, you know, we're going to get through it, I promise. So um, this psalm in particular, um, important for us to know, just kind of like the, the, the main point um, or maybe one of the main points. I, I'm not God, so I don't know the main point. But one of the things and one of the themes that we see drawn out in this is that this psalm in particular is about the longing for a place to God, for uh, a place for God to dwell. This is this is the psalmist longing uh, for a place for God to dwell, or what might just be considered in human terms a home for God, desiring a home for God. In fact. If we look more deeply into uh, what they are asking God to remember um, is the hardship that, that David endured in regards to his own desire to build a temple for the Lord. And so let's look at verses 1 through 5. So it seems that the hardship is connected to uh, what David desired to do in building a place for God. Let's see what it says. We'll start in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And so we see in some of the, the older books of the Old Testament, there was a lot of just kind of, some, some of today is going to be a little bit historical. We're going to look back on what, like kind of some of what the context is for some of this. And so we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
Uh, in fact, where God makes this promise to David that on, on, uh, from, from you, uh, one of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. And that same chapter, the chapter actually opens with David telling Nathan, great name, uh, telling Nathan that he desires to build a house for the Lord. And so in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17, David desires to construct a place for God to dwell. It says that David, does, uh, that David lives in a secure and well-built place. 1 Samuel 7 says a place of cedar. And yet God dwells in a tent is what David said. And David doesn't like that. So David takes it upon himself and says, I want to build this place for God. And so long story short, Nathan tells David, go for it, right? David's, David, or Nathan says, hey, set your mind to it. You need to do this. And then Nathan goes home and he has a vision from God. And, and God tells Nathan to tell David, hold off. Don't, don't do it just yet. And so Nathan comes back to David and says, David, hold off on this. And so David will tell Solomon, his son, in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, some of why God told David to hold off. And so you can go to 1 Chronicles 22. We won't go there this morning. Um, but, but Solomon is the one who goes on to build the temple, which you need to keep this in mind, is later destroyed by Babylon, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And so what this psalm is is somewhat of a, we see some of the desire in David present and the desire of the people in this psalm who desire a dwelling place for God. Remember David and all of the hardships that he endured. In fact, not only do we see that in this psalm, but you realize that the, the backdrop for the psalms of ascent uh, really is, is God's people journeying to be in the presence of God in Jerusalem. And so there's this very important component to the people of God that desire the presence of God and they want to be in God's presence. And so that's the backdrop of the, the, all the 15 Psalms. And that's the backdrop of this Psalm right here is remember David. Remember what he did, how he desired these things. We desire the same. And so God's people are earnestly seeking God's face. They are earnestly seeking God's presence. In fact, that's what we see in verses 6 through 10. Let's read this. Behold... We heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. And so we see here that so earnestly do these people desire the presence of God that they hear about the Ark of the Covenant and they trek to be near it. It sounds like it's just like out in the woods. <laughs> that, that's what verse uh, 6 seems like. We heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Now, there's, there's some additional, through the first like six, seven chapters of 1 Samuel, you can read about the Ark of the Covenant and by this time where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so we see in 1 Samuel 7, when David desires to build this dwelling place, it would make sense with what the psalmist is saying here that we found it out in the fields. And so David probably recognizes that through the first, what we see in the first six chapters of 1 Samuel, David recognizes that and says, let's build a better place for this. Let's build this place for us. And so these people so desire the presence of God that they are going out to the fields, going out to the woods just to be near the Ark of the Covenant, that which would have represented God's presence. And so the first 10 verses of this psalm, Psalm 132, really have as its, as its point um, the people's earnest desire to be near to God. 
God, we desire to be near you. Remember David. Remember his desire. Remember what he wanted to do. Remember what we did. Remember that we went out into the fields to find you. We went out into the fields to find our covenant, and we experienced your presence. And then we kind of see what, what very likely is the very words of God come out in verses 11 and 12. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. The Lord swore to David a sure oath. So this is the people proclaiming what the Lord swore to David. They're recalling God's word, which, again, just kind of a side note, that's always a good thing to do when you feel in despair, to recall the word of God, to recall what God has said in his word. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. God's got good news for David. (laughs) So David wants to build a temple for God. And God's got good news for David. First of all, God tells him what? No, you're not gonna build for me a place. He says one of your sons will. One of your sons will build a temple. And so the good news for David is that David, you will have a son. And your son will sit on your throne, and he will fulfill the longing that you have to build a place for me to dwell. It's like, okay, I don't know about you, those of you who are dads, it's like, okay, if my son gets to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish, I'll be okay with that, right? Um, if I don't get to accomplish all the things I want to accomplish, but my sons do, it's like, I can be at peace. I can be at peace with this. Well, God tells David that's exactly what's going to happen. And so Solomon is born, right? We see Solomon born, and um, Solomon builds a temple, and guess what? God dwells there in that place. Um, is it, is it the, like the fullness of where God dwells? No, it's a representation to the world that this represents the presence of God. So Solomon builds this temple. God dwells there. Well, the promise is now fulfilled and complete, right? Not right. No. No, it's not complete because the very temple that Solomon built later is destroyed by who? Nebuchadnezzar, by Babylon, Jeremiah chapter 52. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, destroys the temple, Jeremiah 52. And so God has fulfilled his promise to David that your heir will sit on your throne and he will do these things. He will fulfill this longing that you have to build for me a place to dwell. God has fulfilled his promise, but now once you get to the end of the story, it seems like it's failed, right? In Jeremiah 52, that is only if we read merely from a historical account, not through a Christ-centered lens. In fact, what we're going to see here is something very powerful and very beautiful. As is the case with many of the Old Testament promises, there are both near and far-reaching fulfillments. You know that? There are both immediate, maybe, maybe a better way is there are immediate and ultimate fulfillments of God's promises. And so immediately, guess what? God fulfilled and was faithful to his promise to David to sit a son of his on the throne to complete the things that he wanted to complete. Yet that was not a lasting temple. It was not a lasting place. It was not a place that stood forever. And so if we see this only through immediate fulfillment, things seem pretty bleak, don't they? They seem pretty hopeless. Well, well, maybe you say no because Ezra and Nehemiah, don't they later rebuild the temple too and things are, things are all good again? Well, guess what? That temple gets destroyed too later by Rome. And so things seem pretty bleak and hopeless. And so God makes this massive promise. Look, look, how, the, look how the psalmist recounts it in verse 11. Let's read that one more time. We're going to read these two verses maybe a lot. 
It says, um, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. Now, we're talking about parenting. Sorry if this just doesn't relate to you. That's fine. Um, as a parent, uh, you pro- if you are a parent, you probably notice there's different levels of guarantees, right? There's somewhat different levels. of. What I mean by that is there are different ways that as parents we guarantee our word. For example, just as was, was the case this weekend and is an, uh, often frequently the case, my kids ask, can we go get a snow cone? Can we go get a snow cone? Please, please, can we go get a snow cone? Right, Maggie? Yep, yep, Maggie, Maggie's our snow cone lover. Now, if I say, maybe, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we're able to do that. What I mean is that there is probably less than a 50% chance that we will go do it, um, though, though it's not completely impossible that we do. Um, however, here's what my children hear. I had to write this one out. Here's what my children hear. Upon pain of death... I solemnly vow upon all that is holy with God as my witness, as surely as the sun rises each morning, that we shall get snow cones before the clock strikes midnight tomorrow, is what they hear. We've, we've encountered this many times. In fact, my kids will typically come and say, well, you promised. No. I said, maybe. We're fickle in our promises, but as we see in... Psalm 132, what the psalmist wants us to know is that God is not fickle in his promises. He is not fickle. In fact, God is so certain in his promises that oftentimes things all around you are crumbling, literally. I mean, maybe literally and maybe figuratively, maybe metaphorically. They are crumbling. They are crashing down around you. The temple that Solomon built that David so desired to do and that his son was going to be the great fulfillment and building the temple crashed, right? And then thankfully, man, we got these two guys, Ezra and Nehemiah, who come through and they got this great desire to build this place. And within, I don't know how many years, the temple's wiped out. And as Jordan kind of shared a few weeks ago about the nation of Rome, same as with Jerusalem, you can go and see many of its ruins. You can see where these things were the text says that the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. If there's anyone who need not swear a sure oath, it's God, right? He is God. God's word is his word, but God wants us to listen up here. Because if we only view this through the immediate fulfillment, then God has failed. But this is not all that, God, that is at play here. God not only gives David good news here about a son that he will have from his, from his very loins, he gives David gospel news about the son that God will send, that God will one day send the gospel news from God to his people that desire and seek his presence is this, you're not the only one seeking presence here. So you've got this psalm who, of these people crying out for God's presence. And what do, essentially, what do we need to do to get into the presence of God? And the ultimate good news of the gospel is the fact that the people here are not the only ones seeking the presence of God. God, the, the, the amazing, mind-blowing news of the gospel that uh, literally, like, we might be the only 
religion, Christianity, that actually believes this. God became human. God became man in Jesus Christ, which shows us that we're not the only ones seeking the presence of God. God is seeking for himself people to be in his presence. And so that's the the news that we hear. Jesus himself confirms this. In John chapter 4, verse 23, the book of John is one of the most fascinating, mind-blowing books that you could possibly read um, out of all the books that are out there. But John 4, 23, Jesus is, is with the woman at the well. There's a lot of interaction here. I'll start in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I who speak to you am He. And so Jesus confirms that not those who would worship on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but those who would worship in spirit and in truth, and even the more mind-blowing reality that God is actually seeking after that. God is seeking us. God is seeking you. Those of you who feel far and distant from God, and you are maybe desiring the presence of God, or you're desiring something from God, know the truth of Psalm 132 ultimately is that God is seeking after you. God is so much so that he sent his son Jesus who came to the world, as Jesus says himself, to seek and to save that which was lost. In this place that God has chosen for his dwelling place, verses 14 through 18 says this. Let's Let's start in verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. The church was born from this message that the dwelling place of God is in the hearts of his children. Literally, the, the church. Like, so, so we see the church formed and born in Acts chapter 2 and then carried throughout the whole book of Acts. This, almost the same exact line appears multiple times throughout Acts with Peter and with Stephen and with Paul. And then they all reinforce this message to unbelieving Jews that the dwelling place of God is in man and not in temples made by human hands, is what it says. Multiple times. Paul says that in Acts 17. Uh, Stephen says that in Acts 7. Peter uh, talks quotes from the Psalms, actually from this Psalm, 132 and Psalm 16, says, Jesus is the one that David foresaw. Jesus is the one whose body would not see corruption. Jesus is the the son of the body of David that he will one day set on his throne. It is foundational to the church, church, that we 
are the dwelling place of God. And, and what, that, what the psalm says is that, uh, if we just read the text, it says that this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Christians, church, we are God's temple. We are God's temple forever, never to be rebuilt, never to be improved upon, never to be destroyed. Solomon's temple was leveled. Nehemiah's temple was leveled. Jesus' temple never will be. The psalm says it is God's resting place forever. Abraham is not the height of history. Moses, not the height of history. David is not the height of history. Jerusalem is not the height of history. Christ is. And Christ has chosen by his grace to dwell within the hearts of his people. And that as Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 11, 10, 11 says, let's go there, go there with me, and we'll, we'll close. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, that by God's grace, let's start in verse 7, and we'll go through verse 13. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the dwelling place of God, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And then look what this says. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Church family, be comforted and perfectly secure in the truth that God has sought out for himself a people in whom to make his dwelling place until the day that he returns and makes all things new. And that's what Psalm 132 assures us of. God, we desire your presence. And then God responding and saying, I desire my presence among you and I will make you my people. I will make you my glory and you will shine through the whole world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful psalm. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Christ. Thank you for the promise that we have in Christ. Thank you that it is because of your grace uh, that we have been made your people. And Lord, I pray today that the, the, the truth of the gospel would not um, fall on us in a in a in a cold way or in a, just in a, yeah, we, we know that, we've heard that before, but Lord, that the gospel that you have sent your son Jesus to become flesh, to dwell among us, and to make us your people, Lord, that that would be just such a marvelous reality to us, and that through Christ's death and resurrection, we have full confidence and full hope and the promises that you have made to us. And it is only because of Christ and his, what he has accomplished through his death and his resurrection that we have peace with you. And that we know that not one of your promises can fail. As Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8 says, 
that he who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so, Lord, we thank you for this grace that you have given to us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.